Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Ask anyone who's had a major water leak and they will tell you that most of the damage could have been prevented if they had been able to stop the leak sooner. Groa, maker of innovative German-engineered showers and faucets, is helping busy homeowners like you prevent water damage and protect your home even when you're away. The new Groa SenseGuard is an intuitive, smart water control that detects leaks, alerts you via a smartphone app, and automatically shuts off your water supply before more damage is done. Protect your home, vacation, or rental properties with Groa SenseGuard and quickly stop water damage before a drip becomes a flood. You can save 35% on Groa SenseGuard only at groa.us slash hive19. Once again, that's groa, G-R-O-H-E dot U-S slash hive19. Once again, groa.us slash hive19. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I am your host, Nick Bilton. So we talk a lot about 2020 and Donald Trump and the Democratic Party and who's going to win and who's going to be the nominee on the show and so on. And I figure, you know what? Why don't we actually go to someone who knows what they're talking about? So I'm very excited to welcome back to the show Jennifer Palmieri. She is the former White House Director of Communications under Obama. She was the Director of Communications for the Hillary Clinton 2016 presidential campaign. She's worked with the DNC, the White House Press Office, Panetta. I could just go on and on and on. She's incredibly smart. She has an amazing book called Dear Madam President, which we've talked about on the show about a year ago. And she uh, she knows everything that's going on in the Democratic committee right now that's trying to decide who is going to be the nominee that is going to take on Donald Trump. And she has a, a few theories about how this is all going to work out. Some of them are a little bit terrifying, uh, but uh, I'm very excited to discuss them with her. So without further ado, Jennifer Palmieri. Welcome back to the show. I'm very happy to be back on this your is, show. It's almost like you never left. You've been living in like the guest house for the last <laughs> year and a half. And uh, can you tell, what have you been up to since your book came out? Um, so, you know, what? I think it really, it was literally just about a year ago because the book came out just about a year ago. So I was sitting here then, uh, yeah, like last, I was here, I think it was here last April. So, um, yeah, so the book not, came not out. Not a lot has well. changed uh, on the Democratic side, necessarily of the world, but the, and or the Republican side, yeah. Donald Trump's still a crazy, complete lunatic. Donald Trump is still a crazy, complete lunatic. But we have had the 2018 election since we I have, saw you. We last, have that is true. I forgot which about I was those. Really uh, found reassuring because 
um, you know, I've, I've, as one would hope, I have to check my political instincts and gut uh, <laughs> after living through 16. And I expected that 18 would be um, a time where a lot of women got elected, you know, that uh, Democrats would do well, not as well as we would like in terms of getting the Senate back. Because, you know, and like, so I had, I was optimistic, but had tempered optimism. And I feel like what hap- what I expected to have happen, happened, which is, so um, reassuring in the, these days <laughs> to, so to, to, the, be, to actually predict correctly what might happen in politics. Well, and we're finally starting to see the, the results of that. You know, um, this last week's show was about AOC and the impact mm-hmm. she's had. And right. um, uh, could you imagine if all of you were just known as an acronym, you know? <laughs> JMP. JP. JMP. Uh, so that's pretty good. Like um, jump. That's NAB. Good. Uh, anyway, um, we're starting to see that happen. And, um, the question that I think a lot of us have and, and why I'm so excited to have you here today, because hopefully you can shed some light is I feel like the 2020 side for Democrats is going to look an awful lot like the, uh, 2016 side for Republicans, which allowed Donald Trump, of course, to come through the ranks. And I'm just curious We can go through the candidates one by one um, and get your take on them and your optimism and whatnot. But I want to start with the big burning question rather than end with it is, is this a bad thing that we now have, you know, 16 Democratic candidates running uh, and they're going to, aren't they going to tear each other to shreds and just... No, I think that, you know, if you look at history, um, recent history suggests that large fields benefit Democrats. Um, the three times where we've taken the White House back in the last 50 years, so that would be 1976 with Jimmy Carter, 1992 with Bill Clinton, and 2008 with Barack Obama, we had very large fields. As a matter of fact, the largest field to date prior to um, this year was um, 16 candidates in 1976. So we're now equal to 76. So I think we're now equal to 76. So we're on the verge of getting. And by the way, I think um, there's, you know, there's there's one, uh, the fact that we have such a large field is, there's that there's a positive reflection there. And isn't and that, it? Well, but it's, it's just, it's, I think part of the reason why we have such a big field is because it is now viable for a woman, a woman of color, any man of color, a gay man to be considered a viable president, um, viable candidate for president. So that is partly that's why the field is so large. Is the is the field also large? Seventy four Nixon, seventy six. It's like we, yeah, people want to like, change. I think it's like when it's like when you want to throw the whole game board up in the air and you're not really sure. You know that America's at a pivotal point, a point of inflection, but you're not sure and and unclear about where we should go next. And so um, a big that draw, I think that draws a big field when we have when the questions really when the country's really wrestling with where do we go next. And, um, you know, I, I think how we decide to replace Donald Trump is a very big question for America. So I'm glad that there's a lot of options. Um, I mean, I think this election, even more so than, um, you know, 76, it's hard to argue that was a really important election when you were coming out of the Nixon presidency. Um, but I think how we replace Trump is a big question for the country, and it really says a lot about the kind of country we are in. Um, and to have, to have high-quality good candidates 
raises the bar on everyone and it makes everybody better. I mean, either you rise to the level of to be able to compete with the talent that's in the field or you fall away, but it's going to make the talented candidates way better. Like 2008 is a good example of that. Do you think that um, just to, I'm, you know, kind of running the show backwards at this point, but yeah. do you think that Trump might win? Yeah, again? Uh-huh, you do. I do. Yeah. You do. And do you think that that is a result of um, the Democrats not having their shit together or as a result of the fact that Trump appeals to a base that is uh, vociferous and passionate and will go to the polls to vote for him? I think the latter. I think that he has a very strong uh, uh, hold on his base. I'm so concerned about the fact that we still live in two Americas of um, you know what we, we can't even agree on a basis level of facts. Um, you know, I look at American history to guide us here about how Democratic presidential fields have performed in the past, but I'm also looking to Europe because, um, you know, Donald Trump is a American phenomenon, but he's part of a, you know, phenomenon happening in the Western world of upheaval and nationalism. So, you know, I look at Brexit and the orange vests in France um, and see how those countries are reacting um, to that kind of um, frustration being expressed um, in their political systems. And, you know, I think if we can be too myopic to think that this is an American thing, it's yeah. a global thing. But isn't part of it that it's, it's, it's a global thing, but it is a global thing that at its root is a issue of inequality where you have what the number fluctuates but between four and six people who have the same amount of wealth as the bottom 3.6 billion and yet the three bottom 3.6 billion specifically in america and in england and brexit are voting for the wrong people to fix that by putting people in power that are going to do the complete opposite of what we need to have done yeah isn't that something that the how does how do the democrats get that message across so i think that um well, I would say when uh, I woke up on November 9th, 2016, I felt like drank I drank a my- bottle of vodka. <laughs> I should have. I should have drank a bottle of Russian vodka. Yeah. Um, I felt like I woke up into a different universe. It felt to me like the universe I had lived in before had exploded. And the way I think about that now is I think that there had been so much pressure had built up in the world or in this country in particular um, of all the inequality um, that became too much to bear. So you spoke of it in terms of economic inequality, you know, the growing wage gap, the richer getting richer, the poorer getting poorer. Um, but it's also true in justice, right? There was the country was great on this created this great premise that you were, we were all created equal if you were, you know, a man, white, and owned land. And I just think that deal, that bill came due, right? Like, it's just like the power being concentrated in too few hands, um, uh, it all uh, just people rebelled against that. And um, I think a big thing that I found, um, the Clinton campaign, and I think it's, it's, it's true today and is going to matter a lot in the 2020 presidential, is that the um, government has such little credibility about having a different, uh, the ability to make a positive difference in people's lives, right? So people think Hillary Clinton did have an economic agenda. She actually did have one. It was very hard to communicate about it in the din. But also I think that um, even if people did hear um, some of the ideas they would think, mm, how's she ever going to get that done? Mm. How's it ever going to matter? Yeah. 
And they're not wrong about that, to have that kind of doubt about, you know, government's ability to function, Congress's ability to function in particular, I mean, um, and get past dysfunction to get something done. So there is this enormous, so I think that's part of the problem. And I've made a point to spend time in red states and places that I hadn't been to in a long time, like in the South and also Rocky Mountain West and talk with Trump voters. And, you know, a lot of them say... I just wanted something different. Like, not, I just wanted to blow it up because nothing was working. That I totally understand, but do they still believe in him? Yes, I think that they get a lot of value out of the fact that Donald Trump is president of the United States. Which is, um, uh, what kind of value? I think some, some people do. I think some people don't. I mean, I think some people still believe in him. I don't get a lot of value out of it. I don't either, <laughs> as it turns out. But I think he tells them a story about America that makes sense to them, makes their lives make sense. Um, it's validating. And I think Democrats really discount... Um, uh, can discount the power of uh, telling somebody a, a story, but that makes that places them in a broader context and gives their life value. That's a big deal. Okay, so this is a perfect segue into 2020. How do Democrats tell a story that makes sense to those voters? Um, well, I you know there are like it's there are different ways that people are trying to do that, right? So um, I think that. You know, what I've been struck with this week, this is the week with a better work got into the race, um, is I think what we're going to find out, and you had said before, you know, is the 2016 um, Republican primary going to repeat itself yep. in the form of the 2020 presidential primary? Um, we're going to see now, I think, does policy still matter? Explain how, why? Because I think that... Um, uh, you know, a lot of the presidential candidates, and I, I will say it has felt to me that up until this moment, we've been in a, a pre-scrimmage game, right? Mm -hmm. Just some, it just had, the battle hasn't really felt joined. And I think that's because um, it was, we have a lot of candidates, they're very diverse, but it was still um, relatively traditional, uh, people are playing by the rel rel relatively traditional rules of the game, Right. You get in, you on Rachel Maddow, you do, you know. You come on the Inside the Hive podcast. You, you come Inside the Hive podcast. If it's up, you don't come on. Um, and you, um, you know, there's a checklist of issues you have to have a position on. Are you for Medicare for All? Are you not? Are you for Green for All? Are you not? Um, and it's, um, you know, the establishment has its role in um, judging whether or not you're doing well. And I just... You know, for better or worse, I don't. I'm not ready to declare it's better or worse. A better work is not going to play by those rules, hmm. and he creates his own weather, right? So, are you saying that he's the he is the standout candidate right now? I'm not saying he's the. I don't you know because I. I I know enough in politics to know that on any one day, it's never quite the way it feels on that day over the long term. Yeah. So, but I think that I now sort of see different paths this could take. And I think these are the questions of the 2020 campaign is like, is policy going to matter? You know, because for example, I saw this morning in one of the networks that does their early morning emails, sort of tip sheets, um, listing all of the issues that Beto work hasn't weighed in on, you know, and frankly, I wish she would. Um, and be more, you know, personally mm -hmm. as a voter, or like, I'd like specifics. Um, but I'm not sure that it's going to, I don't know if it's going to matter to him. You know, I don't know um, if voters care about issues because 
they're focused on solutions or if they hear positions, uh, politicians' positions on issues as a means of telling, um, as the voter absorbing who that person really is and whether or not they can trust them, whether that person's going to fight for them. Um, and I'm, you know, it's possible the details are going to matter a lot. I have a sense from having lived through 16 and watched 2020 thus far that a lot of times where you where you stand on an issue just allows people to put you in a certain camp. Like, okay, well, she's for Medicare for all. She's for Green for all. She goes over here. And O'Rourke sort of, you know, he's um, his um, approach could be considered Trump-like, a virtuous Trump, but Trump-like. In what way? If you refuse to play by the establishment rules, they have no control over you. So do you think that um, when you look at the Beto and the way he kind of went through the the Texan Senate yeah. race and so on, do, do you think... I've heard I've heard people that have said he's the greatest politician since Ronald Reagan on the Democratic side, right. and others that say uh, he's an, a terrible debater. Um, mm-hmm. That he couldn't beat Ted Cruz, right. the worst person on planet Earth, maybe. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah. uh, how can he? How can that translate to a presidential election? If you can't beat Ted Cruz, how can you beat Donald Trump? I mean, it's right, like... Right, right. So, so that's what I mean by, uh, you know, a politician who played by sort of established rules would say, well, I just lost a Senate race. I can't run for president. I just was rejected. And what he is saying is, no, what I did, you know, I excited a bunch of voters. I have faith in these voters and I'm going to take my show on the road. And I believe America is, that's what they want. And and um, he might be right that that's what the Democratic primary wants. It is, you know, he's disruption come to our, he, he is, you know, I, I felt that Donald Trump was disruption come to come politics to, yeah. to prove it's all broken, right? Yeah. So, and now it's happening on the Democratic side, maybe, you know, it's a little soon to tell. But, um, you know, and I said before, I, I don't, I think that he's well-intended. I think he's like, it's like a virtuous version of this. But it is the norms on the uh, Democratic Party side are going to be tested now in a way that the 2016 was. You know, if I work for Beto O'Rourke, um, you know, and he doesn't have people like me working for Beto O'Rourke, right? That's part of the point yeah. <laughs> of Beto O'Rourke. Yeah. Um, I would say, like, do not ever do a cable show. Like, don't ever do it. You know, he does not need to do that. Don't ever do a Sunday show. He doesn't need to do that. I was just on my way over here looking at Twitter, and Kamala Harris did a cable interview, and apparently she got asked, all the questions she got asked about were Joe Biden, three questions about better work, and, you know, one about Trump. Um, she was there to provide content for the cable show mm-hmm. um, and to answer questions to like to reinforce the view that Beto has momentum. Like that is what Kamala Harris was there to do. That is messed up. Mm. So don't do it. And if he, you know, um, uh, this is Vanity Fair's podcast. It's a great publication. I think generally, if you were, uh, you know, if you were following established rules, somebody like Beto O'Rourke was considering running for president and said, hey, I'm going to be on the cover of Vanity Fair and Annie Leibovitz is going to photograph me, you'd say, that was a terrible idea. You're going to get so attacked for that, but he doesn't care. Yeah. So, and he just goes on. So if you don't, if, you, if you're willing to do what Trump is, which was like, don't ever care about 
the what the establishment thinks and don't ever play by their rules, that's where you create your own weather. Not everyone can do it. You have to have a lot of enthusiasm behind you. You have to have a particular personality that's well suited for it. Um, and you know, I, I that's what I, I think that you know, as I said before, like one of the networks this morning had an email that laid out like here's the five issues that he hasn't really weighed in on, and I was like. He's not going to. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. If you're like me, the list of books that you want to read and those that people suggest you should read is a never-ending constant list. You simply don't have enough time to read them all. Well, our sponsor this week, Blinkist, has solved your long list of must-reads once and for all. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books and distills them down to their most impactful elements. So you can read or listen to them in 15 minutes, all on your phone. With Blinkist, you will expand your knowledge and learn more in 15 minutes than you can in any other way on your devices. Uh, I listen to Blinkist when I'm walking the dog, when I'm standing in line at the grocery store, during moments that I would have wasted time before. Instead, now I spend 15 minutes to consume a book. The Blinkist library is massive, and I mean it is massive. They have timeless classics like Think and Grow Rich, uh, bestsellers like The Selfish Gene. Uh, I've been listening just this week to The Sixth Extinction by Elizabeth Colbert, which is a terrifying book, but one that you must, must, must listen to or read. Blinkist is constantly curating and adding new titles from the best of lists, so you're always getting the most powerful ideas in a made-from-mobile format. Five million people are using Blinkist to expand their minds in 15 minutes at a time. Right now, for a limited time only, Blinkist has a special offer for our audience of Hive listeners. If you go to Blinkist.com slash Hive, you can get a free seven-day trial. That is a completely free seven-day trial at Blinkist.com slash Hive. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Hive. Get your free seven-day trial. Once again, Blinkist.com slash Hive. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? Is it bursting with energy or drained? How do you recharge it? Have you ever reflected on those questions? Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hive today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Hive. Um, okay, so let's go through a list of all the people. No, we're not going to go through all the people running because you would be here till next yeah, I week. Know, I know, okay. And there will probably be another 16 by the end right. of this podcast. But I do want to get your take on where you think they they stand just to, yeah. you're are you going to be involved in the 2020 election or are you is that like someone who <laughs> went to war and is like i am not going back there i don't feel like it's the best use of me for the best thing i could like 
Got right it. Right now. Yes. Okay. I'm writing another book. So, so there you go. You'll, but I do, I do. I, I mean, I love a lot of them and then there are some people that you probably, that I, so there's one person that's not on the list. So I think it's good too. Okay, great. Yeah. Should we start with that person? Cause that I'm person fascinated. is Steve Bullock, um, okay. governor of Montana. He has not gotten in yet. Um, his, uh, I've read some stuff about him yeah, and I think it seems like he's someone who could kind of stand out from everyone else, but talk right. about it. Yeah. I think, um, I've, he's somebody actually I've gotten to know through my husband. Um, and, uh, it's governor of Montana. He won twice in a state that's very difficult for Democrats to win, but he's also gotten a lot of progressive things done in that state. Um, he passed only state in the country to pass citizens United fix. Um, uh, got the Medicaid expansion done, things like that. Um, so what that shows is that he has been able to prove people other than to convince people other than Democrats to be for progressive issues. And um, I think that's the, you know, so I think he has a, um, he'd be the only person in the race who won a Trump state. Um, so that's sort of a unique lane and that's um, a proven ability to bring people together. So I think that he is, and I've just had a chance to get to know him and he's just a really great guy too. Um, someone who I suspect would get in the race, but not for um, a while um, but yeah. so, but someone like that probably has. I mean, I I believe that the people who who announced, you know, uh, as soon as the first ones that announced, are the ones that are going to be the first ones to go because it's like the the light shines bright and then it's like oh, there's another shiny person over here and it feels like it feels like with it's very similar to 2016, you know, with yep. Trump, um, who kind of came in later. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, he also came in with paid actors and a bunch of <laughs> lies and everything else. But, but I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Let's Yeah, he, It's like, it is. And Democrats in particular, uh, are very susceptible to fatigue. Yes. So after a few months, they're going to be like, the field's terrible. Yeah. Who else is there? Which is just, re- <laughs> Democrats are never, you know, we are never happy. We're always like worrying about the thing that we don't have. That's really fun. So that um, could happen. All right. Cory Booker. Yeah. I mean, I love him. Um, does, see, any of these... So, okay. So, uh, catch on. does he have a... Um, so, I, I'll, I'll offer my opinion. Yeah. You can maybe push back um, or agree. But um, I look at Cory... Yeah. Great guy, met him several times. Yeah, really cares. Really um, cares. But that's, that that's all real. That shit that's is all, all real. real. <laughs> um, uh, understands technology and and all the things that are important in today's media landscape, but is a little bit of a politician. Um, oh, and mm. in my opinion, um, mm. and I just worry that. Um, he can't necessarily go toe to toe with Trump, A and B. Um, if you know, he's gonna. He seems like his policies are gonna be very careful, um, and oh. I don't know if that's something that people are gonna want. I don't know. So that's that's a big question. I don't know. Like are. Are Demar- you know, are the sort of like established norms going to hold up on the Democratic side, and we're going to demand specificity on proposals and understand what people are going to do policy wise? Are oh, we but just look looking- at what you guys didn't? T- I remember looking at uh, Hillary's eighty-six mm-hmm. page report. Yeah, but on- she won the primary. Yes, by a lot. It's true. You know, it's she. True. I mean, I actually, you know, this is like a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's relevant. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that it. 16 probably would have been better if there had been more people in the 
primary on the Democratic side. I think it, you know, you produce. Well, I um, think part of the problem was that, that everyone was like, oh, Hillary's running. She's going to win. That's it. She's going to win. That's it. And then, you know, and then when you're the Uber front runner, the coverage is like, why aren't you doing better? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's basically, that's, that yeah. is our coverage of 2015 in one sentence. Why isn't she doing better? Um, and if, you know, I had like secretly hoped that Joe Biden would get in the race in 2000 for the 2016 primary. Cause then not Senator Sanders is actually a very worthy opponent of hers, mm. but the press didn't see it that way. It's like, he's says he's a socialist. He's not even a Democrat. Plus he's over 70. Like, how can she not, how can she not be doing well against him? Um, but then you, when you have a lot of candidates and you're able to compete, right. And competes different. Like that's when the sort of expectations fall away and you just see who's the best at this. Yeah. Um, and so I just don't, you know, and, and people did want specificity and that was a, that was a problem for Senator Sanders that he didn't have the level of specificity that she did and wasn't quite as knowledgeable, or at least she ended up winning and that was something that she was that he wasn't. Um, and so then I'm not sure of this year what people are going to want, you know, you can, and, and when you're replacing Donald Trump and you say, well, America replaces um, its president with the mirror image of them. Well, the mirror image of Donald Trump could be a lot of things, right? So could it be Cory Booker? Yeah. Guy that's all about love. <laughs> That, you know, it could be, um, it could be, and that could be what Democrats, you know, that he could be some of the Democrats. Do you think, uh, Bernie has a chance to be the nominee? Yeah. Yeah. You do. Do you, do you, do you think, isn't there a worry that he's, you know, uh, you said before in 2016, he was 70. He's going to be, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, there... not, it's not, you know, that's not an outcome I'm hoping for. Um, but I think it's a, um, you know, I, Do you think I, he can beat Trump? Um, I would. I'm worried about it. Like I'm really worried about it. I'm really worried. I mean, I'm really worried that I think it's going to. You know, you got to look at what state is somebody going to win that Hillary didn't win. What what state is that going to be? I mean, I think if a, a Sanders Trump election would be very different um, kind of election than we've seen before. But I worry um, that he would not be able to. Um, I'm worried that that would be a very polarizing election. And I think not, you know, looking beyond what's in the interest of Democrats, I think a very polarizing election um, is uh, bad for the country. I think we are at the precipice mm-hmm. of either, yeah. either we're going to start find a way to yep. our paths to come back together, or we're going to get even more divided and I, you know, that really. Well, I think that worries. the answer to that depends on who the candidate is. If the candidate is, is yeah. a reflection of Donald Trump, then we're going to get even more defla- divided. Right. If their candidate is not, then. Uh, I worry that Sanders could be a polar, but like even more polarizing. I want people, you know, after the election, I was like, after, we, after Hillary lost, I thought it's insane to think that like we should not go chasing Trump voters because if somebody went in a voting booth and like actually pulled the lever for him, I think it's going to be really hard to convince them otherwise. And, um, you know, we should just get more people to vote Mm -hmm. to bring people out. And now, um, I think it's hard, but I think it's important that people who voted for Trump vote for somebody else this time. I think that's like in the best interest of country. I want to win that way. The one Trump voter who is listening to the show right now, please <laughs> don't vote for him. Uh, I want, you know, you know, I want to win that way. I want to win that way. I want to, so. Um, so let's talk about some of the women. Yeah. Kamala mm-hmm. Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, very smart. I have a great Kamala Harris story. You, yeah. want, you want to hear it? I'll yeah, I do. This is, this is a good story. Um, <laughs> so I was a young reporter at the New York Times and I had moved, I think it's like, 2009 or something like that 
and I had moved from New York to California to San Francisco to cover like tech there. Mm-hmm. And there was this big story that that a colleague and I had broken. And I sat in the, our bureau in the New York Times was this pathetic like hallway thing uh, in this old building in San Francisco. And I was literally in the hallway next to the security reporter, this woman Nicole Perlroth. And I called. Um, uh, there was a big story that we had broken about how uh, Apple and Google were letting um, apps look at your photos without your knowledge. And so we called, um, Kamala was the attorney general at that right. point, and we called her office. I called her office to get a comment. And, you know, I mean, you know, you've been sure. on the other side of that call. Like right. most of the time they're like, hey, we can't comment. Or sometimes they're like, oh, we can put someone on the phone with you on background or whatever. Yeah. And the director of comms, I forget who it was, was like, um, I'll, let me see if I can get one of the lawyers just to talk to you. Maybe you can get a quote or something like that. So I... I uh, get a phone call an hour later and there's a woman who gets on the phone and I, I'm asking questions and she's explaining everything. And um, and I'm like, at the end, I'm like, um, and can you tell me your name and your title <laughs> and, uh, and, and spell it for me? It, just so I make sure I get it right. And, yeah. and I'm, t- I'm literally typing as I'm saying it out loud and I'm like, K-A-M-A-L-L-H. Uh, and I, I knew in that moment and everyone, of course, was just staring at me with their mouth agape in the newsroom. And I was just, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. But I saw her at a lunch a few months later and with the same reporter, Nicole. And we walked up and we went H-A-R-R. So she thought it was very funny. So that's my Kamala Harris story. It's a good one. It's a it good a story. Good it's an good embarrassingly story. good one. But yes, it's a good one. Um, so the thing I love about Kamala is yeah. that she... You're the, you're the attorney general in California. You've taken on this, some of these tech companies. You understand how it works. It's a state that we all love, especially when you look at the the. It, I mean, it's very liberal. Like it's right. it's, but it's not too lefty. Um, it's really not that left. I mean, it's as, really as, not. And it's, in its totality, it is not lefty. So that lefty. Can she a like? How does she rise up through the the? I mean, you you just mm-hmm. mentioned what happened to her today. Like, how does right. she rise up through that to stand out? And if she was able to become the nominee, what would her strategy be to take on Trump? Right. So, um, I think she is very good. You know, I know I like know her a little bit personally, and really like her a lot. I'm close with her sister. Um, Maya, who was did the campaign, the Clinton campaign with us, and um, she, um, I think that there's something special about her, which is that she's a very joyful person, right? And she's like enjoying this ride, which is not easy to do, and has a good attitude about it. But she's also um, very deliberate in the fights that she picks, um, has thought them through, and like sees a, a good outcome from you know whether that's fight she takes on the Senate or like policy positions. And she's just very savvy about how she um, undertakes all of this. Um, And she uh, is able to be very, um, uh, you know, authentic is so overused, but she just puts herself out there in a way that doesn't have a lot of cloaks that I think is, um, that I think is, you know, that I think is good. How does she, you know, she had a great launch. Um, you know, now you're, uh, you, now you gotta like get through the, like the spring and summer is like, there's a lot of doldrums until the um, debates start. Um, but I, you know, she's, I, I think she could very, you know, she could end up as a nominee. You wrote a book 
Uh, dear Mas- Madam President, um, which of course is written for the first female president, yep. um, who do you think of all of the folks out there, Kamala, Senator Warren, mm-hmm. Klobuchar, Klobuchar Jill, like you've Brand, got all of these, Tulsi Gabbard. Um, it's a lot of women uh, yeah, that are running. Um, yeah. uh, who do you think, well, I, 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 I'm not sure you'll answer this question, right. but I'll ask it anyway. Like who yeah. would you, who would you want to see win um, and be the first female president? That's the first yeah, question. I, that it's like immaterial. <laughs> uh, but you, I mean, you know, we will yeah, like yeah. have someone we're rooting for. So um, as I thought, you won't answer that. But yeah, I won't um, answer that. who do you think has the best chance of beating Trump? Hmm. Well, I mean, you're not going to like this answer, but it really, it's like if, if, if you, if you made it through that democratic primary, which has a hugely talented field um, and you made it through, and you were the best one, like you were going to be ready to take on Trump. So it's like, you know, um, we haven't heard people talk about Gillibrand in a while. I think she's pretty fierce. And the thing about Gillibrand is she hangs in there and um, she doesn't give up and she doesn't give in and you might write her off and then you like, you come back and there's Kirsten Gillibrand still standing. (laughs) So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't count her out. Amy Klobuchar is somebody that could catch fire because, you know, a Midwesterner who wins in a red state, um, you know, could do that. And, um, uh, reddish sort of, um, I mean, it did, Hillary did go, did win Minnesota, but it's a tough state generally. Um, and Warren is hanging in there playing her game, which is policy, right? You know, she's coming out, she's going to break up tech companies. So, it's, I'm not, this is, I think this is like, I just don't know what the quite answer is, right? This yeah. is the question is like, what are people going to want? And you could also, uh, there are so many people in the field. There's a lot of different lanes and people could win their sort of, um, heat in the primary, right? There's like the liberal heat. There's, uh, the more, you know, the like, uh, mo- moderate people who are getting in that, um, you, know, you want to be the top of that. And, um, you could, I could see uh, a path where Sanders has got like 20% of support and hangs in there for him. And uh, he's like hitting high teens each state. Sometimes that means he'll win. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, and then people will call it like probably, they'll probably end up with like four, you know, three or four other folks that are, you know, seriously in it. And they're winning, uh, they're winning quote states with, you know, it, 20% support and mm. then and then what and then you end up then we go to we go and figure it out in Milwaukee dun 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 yeah is there like a, a broker convention that could happen is there are know. there states I mean there are states where that, somebody could run the table someone could get in and just run the table which I feel like that's what's going to happen honestly personally and, and you do you think that person's going to be Beto is that what you think I don't know if it's going to be Beto but I think that there's going to be someone that stands out and um, this is my prediction, yeah. uh, and we can revisit it in uh, a couple of years um, <laughs> uh, when we're all put in the gulag because Trump won and, <laughs> and created the uh, created the uh, um, a, 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 a totalitarian state. Um, uh, my theory is that there is either a someone out there who we haven't who hasn't entered the race or maybe we haven't even heard of like, right. oh, we've heard of, but like right. someone just so unlikely. Um, and, uh, that person will come in at the 11th hour and, uh, figure skate their way through. Um, mm-hmm. or there is one person who's just gonna 
go, yeah. go run the table, as you say. But look, it's, I don't know. If it doesn't seem like, I mean, I do. And I also, like I said, like, you know, any one moment you can get carried away. It's like, it's never, never as worse or as bad or as good as it seems. Um, but I, so it, it seems uh, hard to run the table when you have, I mean, we got quality folks in the race, you know, it's not, um, it's a lot of, but, but it, yeah. Do you think, um, do you worry that, um, uh, one of my least favorite people these days, cause I just think that his rhetoric is just asinine, but do you think yeah. Howard Schultz is going to destroy anything? Is he going to have an impact uh, running as an independent and, I mean, he just sounds so ridiculously out of touch. It's uh, insane. It's insane. Right? Um, I mean, does he have an impact, do you think? The arrogance to think that, like, that you can do anything because you did one thing well. Yeah. Well, that's, um, the, that's the arrogance of billionaires. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. a billionaire. I know this. So... Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't think, I don't think so. I don't, don't think, think that he, he I just, it, he doesn't seem to have any sort of constituency, right? I'm not sure. I'm not just like among Democrats, like I'm like, who, who is gonna, he has shown no ability to draw any support. He just showed uh, an ability to get some attention in the beginning. And now it's kind of. Sure. He can get attention because it's great. You know, it's great copy. It's great television but show wasn't that, Trump? That, that, that um but he was feeding into something real right he was like he was you know he was giving value to a bunch of people that had been disenfranchised he, yeah. uh, and there are not a lot of disenfranchised billionaires is what you're saying that, yeah that I don't think there's of, a lot of disenfranchised folks that you know that are like worried about um that just have like where he's coming from it's just i just don't see him yeah. Um, all right. Well, last few questions, and we will let you get back to um, uh, to it. Do you, um, when you look at the race that Hillary ran um, in 2016, there was a lot of criticism around like some of the states that weren't visited. Right. Does that change? I mean, do they become like battlegrounds at this point? These these mm-hmm. these middle states that could go blue yeah. or red. Sure. So that was so that would be Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Those yeah. are the three states that we lost that Democrats don't normally lose. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, the thing is. Uh, Winning Michigan and Wisconsin doesn't help you if you still lose Pennsylvania. Yeah. And like we put everything we had into Pennsylvania and we lost it. Um, so I think that, you know, what I had seen happening like in 15, it was like, wow, we should be spending time in Texas, Arizona, and Georgia. Those are interesting places. Those are play, like play for play for the future, don't play for the past. Um, so I think that those three states in particular stand out as places to. Um, I mean, I think a Democrat can win um, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, uh, particularly Michigan and Wisconsin. Again, Pennsylvania it ain't easy, friends. You all think people think like go spend some time there. It Western Pennsylvania is tough. I'm you know what sure. else is tough? Florida. Oh, Florida's tough just because it makes oh nothing about Florida makes any sense. <laughs> people think Florida, people in, I'm in, we're in California. People in California think Florida is Miami. Florida <laughs> is Gainesville. Florida is Tallahassee. Broward it is, County. It is Broward County. It is the deep south up north. It is, yeah, it is tough. So, you know, relying on a traditional map, I think, is very risky. And so Texas, Arizona, Georgia, those seems like places that you can um, grow in. North Carolina is another place that Democrats could probably win that they lost before. Um, sure, you should, you know, and I think Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan could be gotten back. But moreover, I want 
want, I really want presidential candidates to go to every state. And I see a lot of the Democrats like spending time in Mississippi right now, which happens to be the state I was born in, um, uh, because they want to win the Democratic primary there. But, you know, that has the highest state of African-American population per capita in the country. And like Democrats never go there. That's pretty crappy. And you want, you know, you're going to be president of the whole country. And so even if people aren't going to vote for you, you should want to talk to them. You should certainly want to listen to them. And I think that people in other, you know, other parts of the country will appreciate that you went everywhere. So even if you, I would invest in those three states I talked about, Texas, Arizona, and Georgia, um, but I would go everywhere. Um, Do you believe that uh, there are specific issues that will be the issues um, for 2020? I mean, will climate change be the issue? Will tech be the issue? Or will it just be revolving around Trump? Um, in the primary, the general, Either I'm or. not sure. Um, I think that in the, I don't, I think in the primary, I don't think that there'll be one issue that will, I don't see the issue, the one issue that would emerge in the primary. I will tell you in the general, the thing that really concerns me that looms over all of this is abortion. Abortion. Yeah. And the, I mean, I, Trump- that is... That is what it's all about. about. When I get super meta and I step all the way back and think about, um, you know, this if this if this time that we're living through in America is is a result of, um, you know, centuries of inequality, um, including, um, you know, women um, to some degree being disenfranchised, that fight over abortion over a woman's body, that. It is, you know, that could be the ultimate battle here. And that is among the reasons that Clinton lost, for sure. For sure, for sure, for sure. People who didn't like Trump voted for him because this issue is so important to them. And I don't say that dismissively. I say that with uh, respect for how deeply they care about that issue. Well, but, but it is a, but I can say, a big deal. I will, I will say dismissively. Why is it that you're voting for a man to decide what a woman can do with their body? Well, that's their view. I mean, it's I like, don't. I, I like. I don't agree with their view, and I don't yeah, respect yeah. that position. But I don't discount. I mean, I. But I understand. Like people really, you know, I understand people really, really. There are some people who really care about that, and and, and, that, and, and they are willing to put everything else aside because of that. And, and so, I how think, do you, and as I a Democrat, fear, how do you? I think I, I think that there are more of us in America um, that think that that decision belongs with a woman and and trust her to make the you know bright decision um, for her and I think there is more of them, um, but that's what concerns me. I feel like is sort of like looming. That that's what I fear is in the offing for the general election, and it is a and you know uh, and. Among the reasons why it's troubling is because it is an issue where people are willing to put aside their concerns about Trump and, and their and the economy and, and the economy and all of it 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 because for people it's like that's one of the most important things in their life. Um, and RBG, we don't think can stick around for another. <laughs> it's her birthday today. Is it? Oh, yes. I love RBG. Um, uh, she really is incredible. Um, it's really remarkable. Remarkable. Really, yeah, it uh, really is. Try um, to say true. Uh, all right. So uh, what else? Last question. Okay. Yeah. You ready? <laughs> yeah. I am running for president. 
um, announcing that on Inside the Hive. I actually can't run for president. I'm British, but uh, I am Are you running still for president. British? You're not an American citizen? I'm an American citizen, but you have to be born in America. Oh, I forgot. Ah. Lord. Right, um, okay. uh, I was about to make you my campaign director, but, Yay, but now that you don't know that I can't run for president, yeah. you're fired. Thank you very much. Yeah. No, but let's pretend for, hypothetically that you are, that yeah. I, you're in charge of my campaign and what is this? What is the advice you're going to give me to tell me that I should, that how I'm going to win? Like, what is the the tactic that I take? What is the tactic that you take? What do I do? Do I am I um, do I take the Beto route of 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 being of not standing with everyone else? Do I uh, take on Trump? Do I ignore Trump? Do I? Um, focus on Iowa or New uh-huh. Hampshire. Like, what do, what, what do I do? Well, I think it's, it's, it's a different answer for everybody else. But for you, I'd say like, oh, okay, well, your value is like you're a total, you are a total outsider who like, who, who is willing to say truth and say, and without a lot of concern about consequences. And that should be what you always do. And you're going to do well because you're going to like upset it at the conventional way that people run for president. And can that, can that, because I can't run for president and I mm-hmm. don't think I would ever want to because mm-hmm. it sounds awful quite mm-hmm. frankly but um, uh, can that be applied to other candidates or do they all have to kind of take a different approach based no, on they have they're... to because I think the best the best candidates understand at their core why they're doing this have a reason have a good reason for doing it and they run a campaign that makes sense based on the experience that they that they have so I really do think that it's different for every person and you know you can't just say like oh I'm going to do it just like Trump because that worked you know that worked for him. It wasn't like Trump was so Trump. Did it come Trump? It wasn't that Trump was so uh, such a technical genius and figuring out how to use Twitter is that he said outrageous things on Twitter. And so they got picked up and they drove the news cycle, right? He's a, well, he's a media nice. genius. I, I, I don't think he's a genius at anything, but I think he is a genius at, at manipulating and understanding yes, the media. He, he, yeah, he understood how he understood how to like get in. He understood that this is a very broken system and he understood how to get in and pervert it and make it work for him. That's what he, but not everyone is able to do that because not everyone is able to break every single rule of convention and, you know, tradition and laws and good taste and morality and truth, right? So then you're not, his, his, his strategy ain't going to work for you. Do you think that 2020 is, is a, there is more at stake in 2020 than there was in 2016? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's, it's embarrassing to say it's the most important presidential campaign yeah, of our yeah, lifetime, but, but I think that withstanding four years of Trump is one thing. Withstanding eight years of Trump is very, um, it's really, uh, I worry a lot about how our institutions, I don't, I do look at the generations that are coming up behind us and think that, that um that bodes well. Um, people you know, seem to be getting more tolerant. Um uh, understanding that they're entering a very different world than the one that I did and that they have to prepare for it differently and, you know, some semblance that at least education systems need to change to adapt for that, and hopefully they will soon. But, um, uh, you know, what what's going to be here by the time they're of age to like really make the, you know, he's gone and make the world work again. What kind of, what shape are our institutions going to be? They need to go through changes, right? Everybody's have, like, unless you're, unless your system was built in the last five years, it doesn't make any sense in the internet age, right? Like every power system has to be rethought through, redone. So um, does, that's what's happening in democracy, right? We're going through that, we're going through that revolution now. And either American democratic systems are strong enough that they'll make it through. Do you think they are? 
Um, they've held up better than I thought they would. So. I agree with that too. I was in DC a year and a half ago, kind of at the height of Trump chaos and well, the height of Trump chaos. Everything has been Trump chaos, but there Don't was this particular, it was, it was a particularly chaotic time. And I was, I remember I was, I was going to a meeting at, with the Senate, uh, the Dirksen building and I was sitting outside the Capitol and I was looking at these buildings and I was like, can they, can they survive this? Like, can this democracy and these structures and the people make it through. And so far, knock on wood, it's it's looks like it's still kind of hanging on there. And what's most encouraging is the new Congress. Yes. What's most encouraging is um, is the you know the freshman members of Congress that I see yep. that. Um, um, our are like using their levers of power to do what Congress was supposed yeah. to do, which is like really hold the administration accountable. And you see, you know, and it's not just Alexandria Ocasio Cortez; it's a lot of the freshmen that are like extraordinarily well prepared going in to the hearings and 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 having and really like hitting a nerve and making moments and also creating good policy debates because they're putting new ideas forward. That is what Congress is supposed to do. I am so relieved to see oh, it's, Congress it's incredible. get rejuvenated it's incredible. that way. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's like, whew. Uh, as I said, you know, on the show last week about AOC, like what is so uh, amazing is that she's, she is a real. She's a real human being who cares about real issues and has the ability to affect change and is doing so. Um, and uh, you know, it's 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 so heartwarming to see people like that in government. Um, hopefully, yeah. you know, it's it's amazing. So hopefully, and have people that look like them and young people and like look and see. Oh, yes. it is my government. That is my representative. Literally, I will say, if I ever had to say one nice thing about Donald Trump is that if he gave us anything, yeah. it's the fact that you don't need to go the traditional route to do it. And yep. and I think that, like, let's... Yes. Thank you, Donald. You <laughs> fucking lunatic. <laughs> um, last, last, last question. Do you think he'll get impeached or no? Impeached? Do you think that they'll at least bring impeachment proceedings? Yeah, I think he will. You do? Because I do. I think that when the Mueller report comes out, it is going to be worse than we expected because every time we get a glimpse at what Mueller, like facts Mueller has, they're worse than we thought yeah. they're going to be. And I think when that hits air, when that report gets oxygen, uh, it's going to be so bad that uh, the Democrats will do their job, which is to hold the president of the United States accountable because that's what Congress is supposed to do. And in doing the normal course of their job, not for any political reason, they will find that he needs to be impeached. And and you believe that the Republicans will get behind it or no? Well, they don't need to in the House. Well, in the House, but it doesn't do anything. I know. I'm mean, just you asked if you got impeached. <laughs> okay, got it. Got I, it. You know, I work for Bill Clinton. I know the difference between getting impeached <laughs> and then what happens after <laughs> and being removed from office. Yeah, They're yeah, different yeah. things. Yes. Yes, yes, good <laughs> so, point. Um, so, and then and then the Republican Senate, I don't know um, if they will, you know, support for uh, President Nixon hung in there until June. Republicans hung in with him until June of 1974. And that's when support started to crater for him. And he was out by August 8th, right? So it can happen quickly. I'm not, I don't think that's... <clears throat> Everything about how these folks have behaved tells us that's not likely. Well, the I will to I'd give say. you an, like to to throw that 
stat back at you. The after Nixon was impeached, the Republicans yeah. lost fifty four seats um, the following election cycle. So right. they're they're yeah a bill. You know they they're just thinking about themselves. So but we'll see. So I mean, far, look, who knows? Le- so far, their the like lesson that they have taken away from the Nixon experience is hang in there with your guy. Yeah. Now that might be. It may have been worse. They may have had lost even more seats if they had hung in there with Nixon. We don't. We don't know. But I do. You know, a lot of people are like, it's bad politics for the Democrats to do this. It'll cause chaos and disruption. And I think that everybody, like, where we've got, where we got into trouble. Part of the reason we got in trouble in sixteen was like everybody was gaming out what they thought was going to happen and basing their decisions in mm-hmm. the electoral and um, political process based off of that. And that's like not good. <laughs> yeah. Right. That has. That's we have all these unintended consequences. So everybody should do their job. Congress's job is to hold him accountable. And if if he deserves to be impeached, they should, um, uh, then Congress should do that. And I would like the country and the world to see when something like this, when some sort of virus like Donald Trump hits the United States um, uh, system, we have a means of dealing with it. Let's hope. Last Let's question: What's hope. your book? What's your book? Your new book about? Are you allowed to talk about it's, it? Or? Um, it's about. Uh, it's more about women. Um, nice. It will come out in the um, spring of uh, 2020, and it's going to. Uh, it's framed as a declaration of independence. That declare Great. yourself independent from like the world that came before us. We're starting a new one. Great. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us again. So fun, Nick. You'll have to come back when your book comes out. Yeah, next year. Next next April. <laughs> Get writing. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Thanks to my guest today, Jennifer Palmieri. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review while you're there, or I'll be really upset, and you don't want me upset because that's just not fun. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, and thank you, of course, to my sponsors, Groa and Blinkist. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. I will see you all next Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Look, 2024 is going to get weird. Who decides when there's been an insurrection or not? We're still in the innovation phase of AI. And that is where you see that they're not actually being equitable and trying to build a utopia where we can all use drugs happily together. (laughs) But whatever happens this election year, the KQED politics team is in this with you. Political Breakdown. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.